Welcome in to the Solo Shot Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Manna. I just wanted to give a quick thank you to those that supported the first episode. I know I'm a little rusty on the mic, but it was a lot of fun to get back out there, and I'm excited to see where the show can go. This week, I wanted to highlight the Cardinals from the National League, and I wouldn't typically highlight a team that's coming off a loss in a four-game series, but they lost that four-game series to the New York Mets. The amazing Mets that I talked about in episode one that have just been a team that has a different energy, a team that I think will go very far this year and has a lot of pieces and fight in them. That That's a team that if you're going to lose a four game set, it's okay to lose it to a team like that. But the St. Louis Cardinals, I think, played the Mets tougher than any foe has so far this season. And a big part of that is Paul Goldschmidt, their slugging first baseman. Now, Paul Goldschmidt used to be a pretty big name when he was playing for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Again, another small market. He got traded to St. Louis, and he's kind of been out of the uh, national radar ever since because his numbers just have dipped down slightly. But in his past 10 games, he's hitting 414, and I don't think there's a tougher out in the major leagues right now than Paul Goldschmidt. And I wanted to highlight him because the start of the season for the St. Louis Cardinals, a lot of it was about the big three old guys, Albert Pujols coming back to join Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, who, congratulations, now have the most wins by battery mates in Major League history between Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. But Nolan Arenado started off the season on fire, and he's still hitting well, but he's cooled down slightly. And his corner mate, Paul Goldschmidt, has picked up the slack lately. And having those two guys in the middle of your lineup with those veterans and with the young guys that they have, the Tommy Edmonds, the Harrison Baders, and the Dylan Carlson's, Tyler O'Neill's of the world. I think this team is built to contend this year in the National League. And I think the fight and resiliency, despite the worst pitching against the Mets, really showed that they can hang with anybody in the NL. So I wanted to shout out the St. Louis Cardinals. Before this Mets series, They had a dominant showing against another good National League team in the San Francisco Giants. So much so that Albert Pujols, in his 23rd season, had his first ever pitching appearance. And while it was not pretty, he gave up a bomb. He got all three outs in the ninth inning and secured the win for the Cardinals. I just think having a generational player come home... The energy and experience that he brings is just so healthy for that team that I wish more teams would do stuff like that. You see Miguel Cabrera earlier this season with the 3,000 hits and the 600th double. And Detroit, I think, would have him there anyway, but they've kind of been locked in by that mega contract that he signed. But you don't see too many teams bringing in these older guys giving them the farewell tours they deserve, like Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, David Ortiz got. And I'm hoping that the national media starts to, instead of seeing Albert as a cute side story, starts to give his career and his impact the attention it deserves. Because I don't think people have realized for the last decade, while he hasn't been in his prime, just how dominant Albert Pujols is. He is an inner circle Hall of Famer. I hope that he can get the 700 home runs this year, but it's not looking likely with the start that he's had to the season. He's still 19 away. I think that in terms of best hitting first baseman of all time, when you look at the numbers, 
he's right up there with Jimmy Fox. And that's just something that you don't expect to see again anytime soon. Especially with the way baseball is getting played today. He's someone that has never struck out 100 times in a season, but has 681 home runs, three MVPs, two World Series championships. He's done it all. And I think that his career is something that I hope gets more attention as we get down to All-Star Weekend in the second half of the season, because we're not going to see too many guys like Albert Pools and Miguel Cabrera again. And I think that when they're on their way out as baseball fans, we need to make an effort to go see them. We need to celebrate them. We need to thank them for all the years and memories that they gave us. So one to highlight the St. Louis Cardinals. I think they have a lot of great things going for them this year. And even though they lost this series against the Mets, I think it's a positive thing for the future. This series showed that they need pitching help. And if they can make a move to the deadline, acquire a bullpen arm and an arm for the rotation to really solidify this team, I think the sky's the limit for where they can go. So I'm really excited about the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that their team has a lot of potential and we can see in October if the cards full right. So a team that I didn't want to give as much attention on the first show, but they've forced my hand. They've been arguably the best team in baseball and I name dropped them slightly. The New York Yankees, the Bronx Bombers, eight of their last 10 they've won. Aaron Judge leads the league in home runs with 14. Stanton and Rizzo are both in double-digit home runs as well. Nasty Nestor Cortez might start the All-Star game for the American League. Lowest ERA in the American League, second in baseball to Pablo Lopez. And it's absolutely insane what this team's doing. Just getting the toxic energy of a Gary Sanchez, a guy that didn't always show that he cared, getting that out of the locker room and adding winners at the corners like Rizzo, and Donaldson adding quality guys that give good at bats like Joey Gallo and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa to this lineup and having a healthy Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton this team is scary Garrett Cole isn't even pitching at his best right now this team is going to be scary and the fact that in the American League East which coming into the season was considered either the best or a close second best division in baseball that they've had such a stranglehold on first place ahead of the Rays, ahead of Toronto, ahead of Boston, who have all kind of underperformed. And the Yankees have beat expectations. They're always considered to be a winner with what they're spending and the kind of roster that they assemble. They're always expected to win. They've had 29 straight winning seasons into the 90s. This Yankees team has a different feel to it. As a Boston fan, I'm excited to see them making some positive strides with Trevor Story's three home run game. But the Yankees are coming, and this is a team where if they can stay healthy and play this level of baseball, if Nestor Cortez is probably pitching better than he really is, but if he can maintain and give them another solid arm in the starting rotation, this team will go very far and could be the prohibitive favorites. We might see a Subway Series World Series this year with the Yankees and the Mets with the way they're playing baseball right now. And I hate to tip my cap, but as a baseball purist, a baseball fan, I couldn't ignore the Yankees for two episodes in a row. I wanted to talk about Otani and his amazing journey, Mike Trout being healthy, the best player in baseball. But the Yankees, man, Aaron Judge is coming for that money. 
whether he gets it from the Yankees or not. And this team is absolutely scary. I think that Giancarlo Stanton is someone that I kind of want to highlight as a less appreciated star. But he's someone that won the MVP when he was in Miami. Derek Jeter did the Yankees a solid and traded him to the Yankees for a bag of potato chips, some low-end prospects, just to get rid of that contract. And Yankees fans have been very disappointed and judgmental with Giancarlo Stanton in his time with the Yankees. Even though he was hurt his first year, he still had 35 and 100. And he's had some injuries. They had the shortened COVID year. But when he's healthy, he's one of the scariest bats in baseball. And I think that you're starting to see with a healthy judge and a healthy Stanton for the most part, they protect each other in the lineup really well when they're both going. And it's kind of just a pitcher's nightmare to face those guys. So Yankees fans, I I hate to see you riding the high, but you should be riding the high because this team is very good. First place in the American League East, best record in baseball, eight of your last 10. I don't see them slowing down before the All-Star break. Now, after the All-Star break, if there's injuries and they don't add the right pieces or something, maybe they could fall off, but it's really just going to come down to health with this team. The Yankees are one of the top teams in baseball right now, and I don't see that changing in the next six months. So, Yankees fans, be excited because it's your American League to lose. Switching things over to football... It's kind of been a crazy time now that the NFL draft has passed and we're starting to get training camp hype and injuries. We're starting to see some storylines and some crazy ones, even like Drew Brees leaving NPC and considering coming back, which ended up being just a headline. Drew Brees had shoulder surgery and retired. He's in his 40s and not doing the Tom Brady program. I highly doubt he will be back on a football field as much as I'd love to see him try, but Football's in a weird impasse right now, and I kind of wanted to highlight a couple of the big training camp storylines and kind of calm the nerves of people that are seeing things. So, Traylon Burks was drafted number 18 overall by the Tennessee Titans in the A.J. Brown trade, basically to one-for-one restart the rookie contract on A.J. Brown with a similar prototype receiver who had a really good career at Arkansas, played in the slot, played special teams, big athlete, 4.55 speed, great hands, and in his first practice, there's videos of him looking sluggish, him looking out of breath, and everyone's like, oh no, does he have a work ethic problem? Is this guy going to be the biggest bust of the draft? If you look into the news from Nashville, That first practice, that first training camp practice, was the hottest recorded day in Nashville since the early 1900s. So, Traylon Burks, although he's coming from a similar climate in Arkansas, he was just not prepared to be practicing for that heat. When you're revamping from a football offseason, the first couple days in pads and helmets and stuff like that, it's always just conditioning and getting used to it again. And for him to be in the hottest possible climate that he will be playing in, that he won't be playing in in the fall, I'm not surprised that Traylon Burks was a little winded and out of it. And I'm not worried about it. He came back the next day. He probably was a little dehydrated. And Traylon Burks is someone that profiles really well. I don't think he's going to be A.J. Brown, but I think he will fit the A.J. Brown role in this offense where if they target him 
about 100 times, give or take a little bit. They can use him in yards after the catch situation, which he's shown from his tape he's very solid in. Or they can use his big body in the red zone for jump balls and back shoulder fades, which I think Ryan Tannehill is very proficient at throwing those, as we've seen over the years to A.J. Brown. So I think if the Titans can get quarters of A.J. Brown's production at a much cheaper cost, the number 18 pick is making about $20 million for his entire rookie contract, and A.J. Brown just signed an extension paying $25 million a year. So the Titans took a gamble, but they said, hey, we don't want to pay a receiver with the way our team's built right now. We need other pieces, and I'm interested to see how this works out. But for those of you that are worried about these reports about Traylon Burks, he's came back to practice, he's going to be involved, It's not a one-for-one situation, but I think it's very similar in the Minnesota Vikings trading Stephon Diggs to the Bills for their first-round pick and then using that first-round pick on Justin Jefferson to fill the same kind of role that Stephon Diggs was playing in the offense. Now, obviously, Justin Jefferson had a historic first rookie season because of the volume and his yards after catchability. I don't think that Traylon Burks is Justin Jefferson. But do I think that he can step in and fill a similar role to A.J. Brown? Absolutely. So I wouldn't be too worried about Traylon Burks. Tennessee's offense isn't super exciting. It's a run-first offense, especially with King Henry expected to be healthy this season. I keep seeing all these reports that he's already a bust. It's over. We are months away from important football. If Traylon Burks is still out of breath and can't get on the field come the preseason then, hey, start to worry. But I'm not worried about the first round pick, especially someone with that big of a frame and that productive of a college career at Arkansas. Pull up the tape against Alabama, he can ball. So Traylon Burks is the first storyline that I wanted to squash and kind of get out of the way. The next one I wanted to talk about is Ken Walker. Kenny Walker, Kenneth Walker the third who was an interesting pick by Seattle in the early second round, running back that was not used in the passing game at Michigan State and has a very good explosive rushing profile despite him not being exactly workhorse size. He's a little on the smaller end, but not tiny. There's been a lot of buzz about him catching passes. Now, Seattle's not a team to throw to the running back very much, and Kenneth Walker is not someone who has shown that he can catch the ball very much. So this whole hype train that Kenneth Walker is going to be the automatic RB1 in Seattle, that he's going to catch passes, and he's going to maybe even be the rookie RB1 over Brees Hall, I think everyone is getting out of their skis and has take lock to their prior thoughts just watching the rushing tape. Because granted, if you just look at the rushing tape, pure rushing, between Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, it's close. I think that they both have slightly different tools in their bag to win at the next level. I think Brees Hall is a little more patient, has better hesitation, but I think Kenneth Walker is a little bit better at finding the hole and exploding through it. So they, there's there's pros and cons there in the rushing game. But Brees Hall was used as a receiver at Iowa State. 
Kenneth Walker was not used, and when he was used, he was not efficient, which is surprising. Usually an explosive athlete, if they get lower volume, you'll see some bursty plays. You were not seeing that with Kenneth Walker. He was falling down a lot after the catch, not being able to uh, make a move on the first guy. He's very good in a straight line when you hand the ball, but he's not someone that's going to be catching a bunch of passes. I understand the Seattle team is going to be very bad this year, whether it's Drew Locke or who I think will be the starter, Geno Smith, this season in Seattle. They're going to be behind in a lot of games. They're going to try to run the ball with Kenneth Walker, with Rashad Penny, with Chris Carson, if he can get cleared from the neck, and the assortment of other guys that they have will be involved. But I wouldn't expect Kenneth Walker to just walk in and be the guy right away. I know Pete Carroll likes to give young players the opportunity to earn a job, but Kenneth Walker being a three-down workhorse, I think that people are getting a little bit out of their skis because of a couple videos of him catching passes, a couple quotes of Pete Carroll saying, we like him as an every-down back. Of course they're going to say these things. They're not going to say, yes, we burned this early second-round pick in the NFL draft when we had almost limitless needs on a running back that can only play two downs. We don't think he can catch the ball. And I'm not saying Kenneth Walker is a bad athlete. He can physically catch a football, but will he do it at a high level where an NFL team will want to make that a part of their offense? I do not think so. And Pete Carroll is on the hot seat. He's going to have to do his best with this team for Seattle to give him an opportunity to build it back into a contender. Because right now, Seattle is looking towards 2023. They're looking towards that quarterback class, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, maybe another MVP or above average NFL quarterback hits the market and they can move in on them. But Pete Carroll is on a clock right now. And I think that Showing that the Kenneth Walker pick wasn't a waste will be something he does in the second half of the season, but this team is going to be behind a lot, and I think that they're not going to be able to pound the rock in the rushing game as much as they did in years past with Russell Wilson being super efficient and being able to come back from any situation. They won't have that with Drew Locke and Geno Smith, so... I would temper your expectations with Kenneth Walker. I think he's going to be a good pro, but don't think that just because he was drafted high, he's going to be the guy. It's the same thing with Brees Hall. I think Brees Hall has a better overall prospect profile than Kenneth Walker. I think he should be the clear rookie 101, number one running back. But Brees Hall, wearing number 35 in camp, in an offense that's stemmed from San Francisco, where they like to have a committee and keep guys fresh. I think Brees Hall is going to be the lead guy in that backfield. I think he has the size, he has the pass-catching ability, he's a proficient rusher, and they gave him the draft capital as the top running back off the board early second round. Michael Carter, very good pass-catching back, produced well last year after contact and in the receiving game. I think that he'll be involved. They still got Tevin Coleman re-signed and Ty Johnson. I don't think those guys will be big thorns in the side, but they'll be on the field at times between injuries and giving guys blows. So Brees Hall, he's the rookie running back one. 
Wearing number 35, it's, it's not a sexy number, but I think that Brees Hall, with his prospect profile and with his situation on a team that will be able to run the ball against some teams and will have to be behind and pass the ball, I think Brees Hall, with his receiving profile, is just a safer bet. So all of you Kenneth Walker RB1 guys, I wish you the best. And for redraft, I don't hate you taking that bet. But for dynasty formats, I would temper your expectations on Kenneth Walker. Just go with Brees Hall. He's someone that even if he doesn't explode in year one, I think will retain a lot more value than if Kenneth Walker flops. So I just think Brees Hall is safer. I like what the Jets are building there with Garrett Wilson. They drafted Elijah Moore last year. They signed Corey Davis and Braxton Berrios, who will be there for this season. And they signed a couple tight ends, drafted Jeremy Rucker from Ohio State. They have pieces. They've built the offensive lineup. The defense isn't bad. The New York Jets is somehow, in 2022, a much better situation than the Seattle Seahawks. You said this last year, no one would have believed you. But it's called the NFL not for long for that very reason. There's a lot of parity and a lot of turnover, and things can change fast. So appreciate you guys listening. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at DominicMana44. I hope you guys have a great weekend and a blessed Sunday. Peace.